0: Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 840 of the Lots on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Tuesday. And today's show is mostly a conversation that I had with Brennan Clean of Dime and Forbes, other places on the internet. Brennan's a good guy, and he was happy enough to join me for a two-part episode. This is uh, The first one is about some guys that we've not discussed a ton on the podcast that are NBA, uh, NBA draft prospects, some first-round caliber players, but guys who I don't think necessarily are, are high enough to be in the Hawks range specifically. So it's more geared to just overall draft. Draft stuff in that range, and also if the Hawks were to trade back, something like that, they could be in the mix as well. So that's a fun conversation that is coming momentarily. Before we get to that, though, a bit of news on the draft front, actually, that was reported earlier this week. Shamserani of The Athletic reported that the NBA is relaxing some of the previous restrictions in terms of the pre-draft process. And the headliner there is that teams can now hold in-person meetings with prospects um, visits can be uh, with medical evaluations and or workouts anytime between October 16th and November 16th, so that one month period before the draft actually arrives. And teams can actually have as many as two visits per player, but no more than 10 total among prospects. You have to be judicious. The Hawks in their range, you one of, uh, I'm sure they have a list of six or seven guys, but you can't just be willy-nilly with these in-person visits. They only have 10 of them total. Um, Shams also reports that within 72 hours of the visit, all individuals must be tested negative for COVID-19, as well as you can have three team executives plus a team doctor per visit with the prospect also having as many as three people with them, family, advisors, etc. And this is obviously relevant to every team, but the Hawks will have some extra attention on them, obviously, with a lottery pick and a wide range of guys. So keep in mind that as we go through this process and we'll see what, what kind of reporting emerges from it. Later in the same day, Jonathan Gavoni at ESPN followed up on the Shams reporting with uh, a league memo that circulated that was uh, actually what I was reporting originally but he showed some additional light there teams have to submit a form to the league more than 48 hours before the visit actually telling them what they'll be doing multiple teams can actually, actually attend the same workout at the same time as long as health and safety protocols are met and maybe the Hawks and the Hornets will team up something like that if they wanted to do that also, in addition to the 72-hour negative test window, test results have to be given to the league, and there are daily temperature checks as well, with no physical interaction between the team and the player, and uh, the physical distancing and the social distancing aspect has to be in place. And the final thing here, more of a more of a funny one, uh, teams can provide players with team-identified practice gear as long as the combined retail value does not exceed $500. Pretty funny there, doesn't really have an impact, just more of, that, more, more of an interesting note to pass along to you. So anyway, the uh, the overall takeaway here is not huge for Atlanta, but uh, they'll have they obviously have an opportunity that they were not spe- they were not scheduled to have previously, and uh, we'll see if there's any uh, information that comes out of this. But the NBA draft is obviously fast approaching, which is why we're talking about it today on the podcast, and I want to go ahead and uh, set the table a little bit with all of that news. Okay, before we get to my interview with Brendan, a word from our sponsors on today's podcast, and the first of which is rockauto.com. Chain stores often have different price tiers for pro mechanics to do-it-yourselvers, but at rockauto.com, prices are the same for everyone, and they're always reliably low. Instead of changing prices on what the market might dictate, like airlines sometimes do, rockauto.com simply presents the lowest prices possible. No matter what kind of car or truck you might have, rockauto.com has everything you need, just a few easy clicks, and they'll have it delivered directly to your door. And the rockauto.com catalog is also very easy to navigate. You can quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brands, the specs, and the prices that you prefer rockauto.com is for absolutely everyone and does not require membership or an account login of any kind and best of all prices at rockauto.com are always low and the same for pros and do-it-yourselfers so why spend almost twice as much for the exact same parts go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or your truck and from there you want to write locked on and then how did you hear about us box so they know that we sent you to them amazing selection reliable prices all the parts your car will ever need rockauto.com Today's show is also brought to you by Built Go. And whether it's a mental or physical wall, you can break through it with Go every single day. Built Go is a healthy replacement for your energy drink, but the energy is anything but fake. Instead, it's both lasting and natural. Built Go is, te- is easy to take in one and a half ounce packages. You can put it in your briefcase, your golf bag, or in your pocket to get you through whatever you're facing today. Built Go is essentially a five-hour energy without the same feeling of a crash. Plus, it's natural, and it's better for the body as a result. There are three delicious fav- flavors to juice from with chocolate mint, peanut butter honey, and chocolate coconut. And Built Go is loaded with the good stuff to ignite your work. Listeners to the podcast will know that I have multiple jobs. In fact, on this very evening, I'm staying up very late, and as a result of that, I'm using Built Go to get me through the evening, and uh, sometimes that actually happens to me quite a bit, so it's fantastic for me. It's a fantastic solution to break, breaking through my own wall. In order to try it for yourself, visit BuiltGo.com and use the promo code LOCKED to get 30% off your first order with Built go. Use promo code LOCKED for 30% off at BuiltGo.com. Let's go. And now, without further delay, here is Brennan Clean. Brennan, thank you for joining me on this fine evening. How are you feeling here in the middle of October?
1: I'm doing well. I live in Phoenix, so it's cooling down for the first time in a while. I can't say I'm uh, disappointed about that, but uh, yeah, making sense of this weird NBA off season as we make our way through it here.
0: For sure, and uh, actually, it's been a little bit cooler in Georgia of recent. Not, um not crazy cool, but uh, much cooler than Phoenix. Actually, I co-host... <laughs>
1: That's true of almost every place in the country. To be
0: That's fair. true. I was going to say, I co-host a podcast uh, on the Braves, actually, with uh, one, of, one of my co-hosts is uh, from Phoenix, actually. And mm-hmm. uh, one day he was talking about uh, watching the Braves, and the Braves were in Atlanta. This is a few weeks ago now, but he said something like, yeah, on this really hot um hot afternoon day and I, I was like i was like scott i, I, I hate to break it you but it was like 65 degrees today in atlanta oh. but it was like 102 that day in phoenix or something like that so oh yeah
1: we haven't cracked we haven't gone down below 100 yet we're getting there probably by the end of this month we'll be in the 90s so by the end of the yeah. month
0: here in october he'll be in the 90s yeah, I don't, <laughs> I guess it's uh, it's good and bad, I suppose. That's why our NBA team is
1: literally called The Sun. (laughs) So, you know, it is what it is.
0: It's a fantastic start to the podcast. Uh, But yeah, thank you for joining me to talk about some draft stuff here. Uh, You are We've actually talked quite a bit. We work together uh, of sorts over at Dime, so we've spent some time talking about the draft. I've uh, listened and read you in the past, and I appreciate you doing all of this. I want to start our conversation by talking about a bunch of guys, actually, that I haven't talked a lot about on the podcast for one very clear reason, and I told you this beforehand, but... We've known for a long time that the Hawks will have a top ten pick in this draft, and this this cycle is never ending. But the guys who are often projected to go after that, but also not projected to go to, to fall away in the second round, are guys that I ta- I've written about a lot other places, but I've not talked about a ton on this podcast. And you were gracious enough to talk about some of these like mid to late first round guys. So uh, thank you for doing that in advance. But I put, I put together sort of a list we could add to it as we go as well. And this is not all-encompassing, by the way, for listeners. This is not every single person that falls in this category, so don't panic. But uh, I wanted to ask you about a few guys. So uh, I will open it up to you first, just to see what, what you say. But um, do you have a favorite guy in this kind of range? Like, not an absolute, you know, slam dunk lottery pick, but maybe it's someone that you would take in the lottery, somebody like that, or uh, j- just a favorite guy that you often see going in that mid-to-late first-round range?
1: I really like Tyrell Terry. Um, It's so weird looking at at this year's, like you go on the ESPN top available players list, kind of their big board and compare it to the athletic or any of the other places. It's almost hard to even have like the language to say who's in what range this year, because it is so, uh, I I think it's so kind of uh, subjective here this year, but Tyrell Terry is a guy who, you know, I've seen, I, I think Sam Vecini at the athletic has him a little bit higher than ESPN has him. But a guy that I uh, really enjoyed watching, I'm obviously maybe a little biased there because I am in Pac-12 country, but, uh, you know, just you watch these playoffs and it it feels like, you know, it should be turning our heads more to players like Terry, Uh, you know, a little bit undersized and, you know, especially not, not just height and length, but just as kind of a scrawny guy, you know, he's going to probably have to add muscle at the NBA level, but, can just shoot the heck out of the ball, like a, a guy who can get open off the ball and has the length um, to kind of finish in that unorthodox, like Steph Curry type of way, where, you know, he he has the long arms and the and the kind of the quickness and then that type of athleticism where he's able to score not just as a three-point shooter. So, you know, he's a guy that I, I just, I feel like we, I don't know how many drafts we're going to have to go through where guys like that get undervalued um you look at espn and they have precious achua at 10 here and and it's like when we're comparing guys like this it just seems to me like we continue to underestimate somebody like terry and overvalue somebody like achua and i just i i feel like at least personally i would lean toward the shooter lean toward the offensive guy who can create his own shot from deep and and do so at a high level
0: yeah, it's interesting, I, and we'll definitely talk about Terry um, as well, but it, it led me to a point that I wanted to make sure we made it at some point along the way here, We start, and we'll just start with it now. This is a draft that has no consensus. I mean, there are a couple of guys who are consensus, and there are some, I guess, out there, but I think less so than most classes for sure. That's been a discussion point on Twitter recently, I think it was a couple of days ago as we record this, that uh, Kevin O'Connor was mentioning that, um, along with Jonathan Wasserman and other, other people like, There's going to be some weirdness on draft night, and I think that it's a good thing for sure. We kind of know that, but uh, Terry's a great example because as you bring him up, um, there are mocks and big boards from trusted people that have him as a second-round pick. And then Mm -hmm. you look at Kevin O'Connor's big board at the ringer, he has him at number nine.
1: Yeah, ESPN has them forty two on their on their little board. So,
0: I mean, not that I you know, I, I'm probably closer to forty two than nine, but that's not always saying anything. I'm i I'm in the middle between those two things. Like it's it, it kind of just speaks to it, uh that that's obviously one example, but there are there are tons of those. Precious to choose another guy that you just uh brought up. And Precious is often seen as a lottery pick in some circles. And if you talk to some draft Twitter folks, he's like in the fifties. Like th- there yeah. are some real divides. In this class, and part of that is just play style in the modern game, what you value but also it's just like individual evaluations because Terry's an interesting example like he's actually gotten a lot bigger apparently i saw some video/photos fo- of him recently where he's put on some weight that's good cuz he's very small at least he was very small um yeah. but he he can really shoot it that's that's his primary appeal uh, people talked about him with the with the sixers for obvious reasons cuz he's just a knockdown shooter in that way and they have picks in that range but yeah he's a guy that i just never talk about on this podcast because The Hawks just have no way of getting him, nor would they want to get him with Trey Young and all that stuff. But I do kind of like Tyrell Terry. I think he's pretty interesting, especially if you feel like he could get to the rim, because the shooting is uh, for sure something that you can rely on, I think.
1: Yeah, I mean, it it remains to be seen, right? Like, I don't necessarily think he gave us a lot of evidence that he's going to get to the rim. Stanford's kind of a weird roster. Um, Just they had what's his uh, De La Silva or De De Silva, Oscar (laughs) De Silva, who, who they kind of ran things through. Um, and so Tyrell Terry was by no means like this featured guy. Um, and and so, yeah, I I don't know that he's going to be this, you know, high level finisher, but you know, got to the free throw line a decent amount. That's usually a good indicator. And like I said, I, I think the way he moves and kind of reads the floor, like you could see him just getting some easy buckets that way, attacking closeouts, eventually that type of thing. So, yeah, I mean, I I don't necessarily know if teams are gonna value him. You know, I, I think the Pac-12 kind of sucks, and Stanford, <laughs> like I said, was was weird this year. They weren't a great team by any means. So you know, it's not as if he was doing this against elite competition on a consistent basis. But like I said, I mean, you watch like a Tyler Hero, players like that, this off se- or, or, or this postseason you know, not to compare him to Jamal Murray, but again, I got anyone who can create their own shot from deep pulling up or or off cuts or off screens. I just think, how could you not value that? I, I think we're seeing over and over examples of why it can be so big for teams.
0: Yeah. And Terry's a guy, his range is probably pretty big, uh, like, you know, 15 to 40. I don't even know. Like, it's so funny to think about ranges in this class, but no use, idea yeah exactly yeah. i
1: mean it literally could be like the sons are going to throw a wrench in things because they don't draft according to any of that and, and there's plenty of, of franchises to do the same it, it could go anywhere
0: yeah he's an interesting got to start with i'm glad we did that just because he is a fascinating case study especially if you buy into the body transformation which is something that i wanted to ask you about i guess it's a, it's a good time to do it now i've mentioned it a little bit but th- this super extended offseason um and all sort of draft cycle especially like the combine is not it's virtual there's so much time in between they have this you know almost a full season's length offseason in between when they stop playing and the draft itself how much do you care about like the leak the leaked workouts or the you know the the shot overhauls or the the body stuff like how much do you care about what's been out there not just for Terry, but for everyone in general, like what can you take away from what might've come into the forefront? Some of some of that's definitely agent work uh, along sure, the way, but sure. how much do you buy into that kind of stuff? Cause I know my, my personal thought is I don't really buy into it usually, but this time around I'm probably a little bit more in tune with it because of just how long this cycle is and guys have more time to kind of work on things.
1: No, that's a totally fair point. Like you almost have to take it seriously just because it will have been such a, I mean, we we talk about these players' ages, like that's such a big thing in the draft, and that's monumentally different by the time these guys get drafted than what it would normally be. It, it really is sort of throwing a wrench into the evaluation process, I think, and you almost have to care about it because it's the only basketball these guys have been playing for such a long time. Uh, if it doesn't matter, then that sucks for them because I'm sure they have been hoping it really makes a difference on their game and on their draft position. So, you know, I, I take it some, some amount of seriously. I know, you know, I, there was throughout the summer in Vegas, these, a lot of these guys have been working out. So I think the fact that it's happening against other elite prospects kind of helps, you know, it's not me and my cousin in my like local gym. It's, it's like, you know, me against, you know, fives, with 10 guys who are all going to get drafted that, that, you know, that matters, I think. And it's, uh, it's probably helping them improve. I guess you just kind of have to hope that, that the player has a good head on his shoulders and is able to use that work for actually getting better rather than just kind of screwing around and, and whatnot. But, you know, with the physical transformation shot transformation, it's just hard to tell. I mean, I trust like media leaks from in team workouts and things like that in a normal draft. Cause I think that stuff, Is pretty reliable but you know something that some player posts of themselves or something like that it's kind of you know they're going to engineer that to to look pretty good so I would say the the work that they do if I'm on if I am a front office I'm going to take pretty seriously but you know kind of the fluff stuff from agencies and whatever you know I think you always have to take that with a grain of salt. Yeah, that makes sense. I wanted to ask
0: you because I think Terry was just something, somebody that reminded me of that phenomenon because there was a, a little bit of an outcry in a good way about his body his body overhaul. So yeah. good place to start there. Uh, I want to ask about another guy who is similarly sized in some ways, but not. That, not I mean, they're kind of different players. But Cole Anthony is someone that seems to have his stock all over the place. Uh, Cole, yeah. Cole was like a consensus top five guy coming into this year of college. It didn't go super well at North Carolina. And then Right after the year, I think if you listened and read, um, he was still seen as like sort of a late lottery type. And now it's there's been some rumblings. It could, it could be targeted leaks all that stuff always, but it feels like he might drop. And I'm wondering how you feel about Cole Anthony overall, because I, on one hand, thought he was probably a little bit overhyped based on the, the pre-college sample that I saw. And then now I feel like the hate's gone too far on him, so I'm probably somewhere in the middle, which is not terribly sexy. But what do you think about Cole Anthony and sort of what you're hearing right now?
1: I really like him. I mean, you know, I I don't know exactly what that means as far as where I would draft him. Um, But I think, I think of him as a lottery guy, Um, probably in like the 10 to 14 range, you know, maybe 10 to 20 because of how fluid this one is. But I think, you know, to be honest, I think a lot of it is a guy who, he caught UNC at a terrible time. Uh, You know, that team most years has enough around, the uh, their star players to be pretty good we saw last year they were pretty good with kobe white who i you know i I think was pretty impressive as a rookie for chicago but is not a superstar caliber type of prospect and and did pretty well for himself just because of that program Uh, so i think Cole anthony caught them in a bad year and i think he suffered by just getting injured like i I don't think uh you know I, i i think going into that injury there was some sort of like You know, this is not the player we thought it was going to be. He's not creating his shot at a high level. He's not finishing well. Those concerns were starting to creep up. And I feel like the injury just sort of was a, uh, the last words we heard from him really. And then by the time he came back, I just think there wasn't much he could do for himself. And obviously maybe a player who could have, could have helped himself in the conference tournament, or if they somehow scraped into the NCAA tournament, probably unlikely, Um could have maybe helped there. I just think like, it's almost to me, I I hear you on the high school stuff, you know, maybe a little bit overhyped. I thought all along, like this is the son of an NBA player. Those guys are always going to be, I think seen as a little better than they are. You know, they have their dad talking in in all these teams ears or just kind of the, the mystique of it maybe. Uh, So I think he maybe had a little bit of, of shininess that wasn't warranted there back this time last year before his, his freshman year, but I think it swung too far, to be honest with you. Like, I think you almost have to trust what you did see at, at from his high school tape and just how how excited people were about him back then. I almost want to default to that because of how weird the freshman year was. So, I mean, you're still looking at a guy who's six three, can can shoot pull up threes, can at least get to the rim. You hope the finishing gets better, um, and I think is a decently smart playmaker. I mean, his assist turnover ratio was pretty, pretty awful as a freshman, but I think he's somebody who's going to be able to kind of be that scoring guard who can run your offense. And I think that's still where I see him. I almost feel like the freshman year, maybe it's, maybe it's naive to say it's a wash, but I just, I don't want to overreact to it.
0: Yeah. I think that's a a good point. Not that um, it matters, but it's it's probably a a point, a data point where I wouldn't panic the way that I would put it. Like, I think he is a talented guy still, I kind of like his supplementary stuff more than other people do. Like I think he, I think he'll be a pretty decent defender if he buys in and tries. Like he's physically pretty strong. He's mm-hmm. adept when he when he when he's plugged in defensively. Um his off-ball stuff I think is going to be all right as well. Um the question is like the situation for him. Like I wouldn't necessarily love him as a primary, you know, number one option type, the way that people were billing him coming out of high school, like if he goes to the Knicks at eight or something like that and like has the weight of the world on his shoulders, I wouldn't love that. But if he goes somewhere else where he's not the only guy in town in the backcourt that has to run the offense and do everything, I think I like him a little bit more in that kind of not small role but smaller role, like not that primary, primary, primary guy. Um, but we'll see. I, I think he's interesting. Again, a guy I haven't talked about a ton because I just don't think the Hawks have any chance of drafting him whatsoever.
1: You think he'll fall?
0: Um, I think he probably won't. Honestly, yeah. I mean, there. I feel like, and this is this could be wrong. I've I've heard. Like like on most guys in this class, I've heard very mixed things from people in the league, um, and I don't know everyone in the league. I don't have the sources that other guys have necessarily, but I have some, and I, and I feel like um, there have probably been some targeted leaks on Anthony in a negative way from teams that might want to get him in the mid in the mid teens. Like oh we don't we don't love this guy. I mean some of that stuff. There's always noise along the way. I'd be pretty surprised if he fell too far. Like the notion that he's going to be a a guy in the twenties. I don't really see that happening. I mean, I, I guess it yeah, could, but I'd be pretty surprised if somebody didn't nab him uh, somewhere in the teens. It may not be until late teens, but there are some teams, especially later on, like what about Dallas? Like te- teams like that, where it, it might be interesting. Yeah, to Rick talk- love him. Yeah. Yeah. Like teams like that or Milwaukee or, you know, teams that have infrastructures where you're kind of buying low on a guy who has real pedigree and real upside. And at, at a certain point, it just makes sense to take that guy. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. What do, what do you actually, you know, while, while we're here, what do you make of uh, him, him in Phoenix? Because you are a guy based in Phoenix. You've, you've covered the Suns at times. Uh, is that a, is that a fit you like? Not that I'm putting you on the spot, but um, because you like him and because that they, they've, they've at least been tied to some guys in the backcourt, would you, would you hate that for Phoenix?
1: No, I, I think it would be a pretty interesting one. I mean, I think, you know, for what, for what Cole needs to get better at, I think, you know, Ricky Rubio is not a scorer. You know, you expect that Cole Anthony is going to be a a much, much better scorer than Ricky Rubio is. But I think when you, you look at that playing with pace, controlling the pace of the game, um, you know, getting, getting your teammates into their spots, I think that type of thing, you know, maybe is another factor here for who type of what type of team might want to target him Uh, a place where, yeah, he could play alongside other ball handlers, other uh, more experienced point guard. So yeah, I think he'd be fine in Phoenix. I don't, I don't love it because I think, you know, I don't know what he's going to be as a shooter. I think that's one of the big things there. I'm not positive that he's going to be an elite shooter. And I think for what the Suns want to do, you you want to have knockdown shooters. So, but I think the other thing with Anthony is that I I think is a factor for a team like the Suns who like um, capacity to get better a lot is. When you start, when you're thinking about what is going to feel like a sure thing in this year's draft, I think there's a lot of different things that can mean depending on the franchise and the and the prospect. But I think having a guy where you can convince yourself this is Greg Anthony's son, I'll just trust that that he's got a a decent ability to catch on quickly, be a professional, that type of stuff. I think that teams always seem to care about much more than we do. Uh, I, I've kind of had that in the back of my mind as something that could. Maybe just cement his floor a little bit, where he's not going to be one of these guys that just drops out from underneath uh, of his perceived floor, like we saw with, you know, another North Carolina guy like Nasir Little last year. I don't expect it to be like that.
0: Yeah, that that, that still surprised me, um, even in the moment. Like that was a a fall that I did not foresee coming, and that's kind of the nature of the beast. And I, I think this year it's kind of crazy. Someone's going to fall. And I guess it could be Anthony. Um, someone that we think is not going to fall is going to fall just because of all the uncertainty. But I would guess like you would, that it's not going to be him. Um, okay. I want to ask you about a couple guys, a couple of like wing forward types. Now, if we've spent some time on the backcourt um, in this range, um, I'll let you take them in whichever order you, whichever order you would like to. But uh, the three guys I want to ask you about are Aaron Neesmith, Sadiq Bay, and josh green who are in different tiers for different people um i've seen both neesmith and bay as lottery picks in some circles uh green a little bit lower people seem to like green's defense like um i guess the easiest way to get into it is you know who is your favorite of that group and then you can sort of discuss them all uh in whichever way you'd like
1: i like neesmith um Another guy who, you know, not to to harp on what we all know is the reality of this draft, but having that injury like he did, uh, it already was going to be an uncertain selection. He only played about half the season, and now, I I mean, maybe I I don't have an idea really of where he is in his recovery process or anything like that. These teams obviously will have some access to that information, so um, maybe that helps if, if he's fully recovered and he can get in the gym and knock down some shots, look like himself, but again, similar to what we were talking about with Terry, it's a guy who just looks like he's a a good bet to be a good shooter, if not even better than that, you know, made a very fluky, like almost half of his three pointers this year, again, because he only played so few games. Um, I'm pulling it up here. Yeah, I played 14 games, knocked down uh, 52% of his three.
0: Just outrageous. And honestly, I'll I'll let you keep going. But I want to make this point real quickly. I think he actually is the rare guy who might have benefited from getting, from getting hurt at a perfect time. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Because of the because of the number that you just said more than anything, um, I and think he, he, I, he
1: tried eight eight point two attempts a game. It wasn't you know, it, yeah, it wasn't uh, some <laughs> twenty attempt season.
0: I think he's going to be a good shooter. Don't, don't get me wrong, but no one thinks he's going to shoot the way he did. But there is this mystique now, or at least this this uncertainty, like maybe people, maybe a team, it only takes one. Sees him as this like uber elite shooter, and given the numbers that he posted and the, when he got hurt, he didn't ha- he didn't have to play a, the SEC schedule. I I still kind of like him, but at the same time, he probably not that you want to get hurt at any point. But th- the sample size that he was able to put on tape is probably the best case scenario for him. So it oh, seems yeah. it seems odd, but uh, I think it was almost fortunate for him for his stock.
1: No, I think you're completely right because I think you know Vanderbilt again a, a pretty you know mediocre team in in Stackhouse's first year there, so. Um, I think, you know, the shooting is not going to he's not going to be, nobody's a 52% three-point shooter in the NBA. Uh, is he, you know, he was 34 his freshman year, 52 is his, uh, his sophomore year. And he was 83% from the free throw line, which is tends to be a pretty good indicator. So that's strong mark for him, not a, a ton of attempts. So I think you're looking at, like I said, a good shooter with the potential to be better. Uh, I, I do like the versatility on his jump shot. Like he's not a guy who. Like I said, that team was not great, so he wasn't knocking down these wide-open kick-out threes. He's, he was used off the ball a little bit and um, has pretty good range, from what I remember. I did see him in person once. He came to a, a little—I think he they played uh, St. Mary's in Phoenix. Oh, yeah. And so I was able to talk to him and to Stackhouse. And I, the thing that I came away with there is the fact that he improved his efficiency in some of his— uh, numbers the way he did, um, you know, stayed around the same on steal and block rate, and actually improved both of those. You know, I don't know what exactly to trust with the numbers. I don't think the shooting's going to be there again, but they put a lot more on his plate this second season, and he still was able to look pretty good doing that. So, you know, they were asking him to, to do a little more playmaking, to handle the ball a little bit more, to uh, take the opposing the player who was. The best scorer on the opposing team. I think Stackhouse knew this guy had an NBA future ahead of him, and decided it was going to be part of his his homework in year one to make this guy into an NBA prospect. So, I think I saw a little bit of that on film. Maybe they were overblowing it a little bit, but I do think uh, you know the fact that he did take on a little more his his usage rate was way up and all that, and the efficiency improvement also came. I, I think those are good indicators. And uh, you know, you have this guy who's six six and a, a pretty good shooter. Um, that's, that's almost all you might need in this draft.
0: Yeah. I mean, the questions on Neesmith are interesting. Like he might just be a specialist, which isn't the worst thing in the world. If you, if you buy his defense, then I can sort of see it. Um, but he's just a very interesting player because
1: he, he's not like an incredible athlete. No, he's fairly
0: limited. Like he's kind of strong. But he doesn't really do anything with the ball in his hands other than shoot. Like I don't think he can really create for himself much, yeah. um, which isn't a problem necessarily. But you gotta you gotta have a specific plan for him. Uh, I don't know. He's someone who I think is interesting. Uh, probably you know mid first round guy, but um, a player that a player type that you don't always see. Although obviously everyone likes the shooting because everyone needs to be able to shoot at this point in the NBA. Um, Bay Bay and Green are very different players too, but. Where do you fall on the Sadiq Bay spectrum? Because I know like draft Twitter folks are much lower on him, whereas teams seem to be a little bit higher. I've always liked him, but to be candid, I liked him really early on at Villanova when it was like in vogue to have him as a sleeper first round pick. And then it was like, Sadiq Bay top 12? And it's like, okay, now I'm uncomfortable. Uh, I've always liked him, but uh, the hype got a little bit out of control. So where do you fall on uh, the former Villanova combo forward?
1: Yeah, another guy who I admittedly didn't didn't watch a, enough Villanova to have like a great opinion on him. He's one of these guys where it's the 45% shooting, again, you don't trust it there. I always kind of looked at him as like, honestly, the way that I look at a lot of these Villanova prospects lately where the program and the infrastructure there seems to be helping him out. And I think the fact that in this case he happens to also be kind of the picturesque three and D frame and, and sort of like statistical indicators. I agree. Like I think he's a guy where um, he wasn't expected to be a huge part of this draft picture. And the fact that he did kind of turn people's eyes, but only got to the free throw line 2.9 times per game. And uh, kind of like we were just talking about with Neesmith, I don't think he's the type of athlete that you want him to be. When you look at a six, eight guy who, kind of, you know, can play the wing and move around a little bit. So um, I think what you're probably getting from him is a pretty low floor player who, you know, if you want a guy who's going to be like a, an average spot up three point shooter and have some size, like, you know, is like, like Daniel house, is that, is that what you're getting here? I kind of, I, I feel like that might be his ultimate NBA future, just like a, a role player who you're not going to kill yourself for drafting, but not a ton of upside.
0: Yeah, and honestly, if you could guarantee me Daniel House, um, like True. current Daniel House True. is probably a top twenty pick in this in this draft, just because of go, yeah. the safety of that. Like, there is utility. It's not sexy at all, but Daniel House is like a rotation player in the NBA on a good team. So. That's not the worst thing in the world, but I I definitely understand where I love Daniel
1: House. So I guess I I slandered the wrong guy. No, no, you're right. You're right.
0: I'm with you though. Like it's not. It's just not exciting at all. And and honestly, my concern with Bay is his defense. I think the shooting is pretty real. Not not 45 percent, but I think he's going to make shots. Defensively though, he's just kind of slow footed, and I'm not sure it's going to hold up there. But he's smart. I, I think that might work out in the end but i trust
1: the the villanova guys i mean they're gonna they're not gonna be terrible i guess outside of amari spellman they're not gonna be terrible oh and see
0: the thing about spellman and without getting down the rabbit hole here if spellman just would keep his body together he wouldn't be terrible like honestly i I truly believe that um i I didn't like that pick when it happened and said it said as much i thought it was a major reach but if you saw him in golden state at times this year before he got out of there when he was like you know at 250 instead of 300 pounds he looked okay um but different players sure. obviously yeah um okay last thing last guy I want to ask you about um in this sort of discussion is Desmond Bain who has risen quite a bit in the mainstream I know Draft Twitter always liked him and I've I've always liked him I, I purposely wrote about him first in our like 100 player Street Hoops profile series he was the first guy I wrote to get out in front of it a little bit I've always liked him but uh another guy where there's a big gap between some evaluations and some others i think everyone's higher on him now than they used to be but you still see people with desmond bain in their you know in the 40s or 50s and that blows my mind so do you you think he's like a top 20 guy like some people do or like where do you land on desmond bain from from tcu
1: i think i'm drinking the sun's kool-aid a little bit here Uh um I, because because I think I've you know watching the way that they operated in the draft last year, like I don't know how many how closely people paid attention to the aftermath of their their kind of surprising Cam Johnson move last year, but um, it worked out. He was pretty good. Uh, he was a pretty good player. So I think I might be overvaluing because I saw how well that worked, and because of how strange of a draft this is bound to be. Uh, the fact that Desmond Bain is twenty two. And I know what he's gonna do. You know, I, I I trust him to score on or off the ball. I, I trust him to create his own shot. Like, um, you know, and I think the defense because of his size and and just his, uh, just kind of I don't know. I, I don't think he's he's gonna be a stopper, but I I think you just trust him. Um, I read right before we started talking. I I brushed up with Jackson Frank's piece over at Op Rocks, and yep. he. He uh, he pointed out some some good things about his defense. where right? I just think he's going to be able to handle switching. Like you know, plenty plenty mobile enough guy to do that. So uh, I, I don't know if it's maybe just because of this draft and like I said, seeing how well it it can work when you go older if there is uncertainty. Um, but I just think like if you can get it kind of like we were saying, like Daniel House, of course you would take that if you could in at, at 19 or 20 this year. And I think similar with Bain, like with Cole Anthony, I think the floor might be lower for him. You know Um, maybe it's just the evidence we have for Bain versus the evidence we have for Anthony. But uh, that, that's kind of where I am, especially with these guard creators. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm more trending toward trusting the guys who, obviously freshmen that are superstars, John Morant. I wasn't going to question if John Morant was going to be a good NBA player. But once you get into some of that uncertainty, I, I kind of want to have seen it. And I think Bain has done – I mean, what more could he have shown us in four years here at TCU? Yeah,
0: I'm I'm oddly encouraged by people noticing Bain and warming up to him in the last few months. He said um, at
1: the Combine he's talked to 26 teams.
0: I, I mean, as, as they should – I mean, the thing is, if, if you watched him and people – you know, two – I understand people not watching a ton of TCU basketball. I I totally get that; it's not exciting, and he is old and all that stuff. But he just checks so many boxes for what NBA teams want on the wing, especially if you're talking about like a non-lottery pick. He's big and physical. He can really, really, really shoot it. I think he can defend at an adequate or better level. Like he just does a lot of things that you would want. I would take him as early as like twenty. that's how much I like him. The sons. Uh,
1: he said at the combine. The Suns talked to him. It, that he had a long conversation with James Jones, and the Suns are picking tenth.
0: Yeah, I mean so... th- that's probably a little bit too early. But honestly, I, I mean I for said, me too. But said, you I said know, with, I'm with all saying, sincerity, like, yeah, with, with all sincerity, if they took him at ten, I would I would not love it, but I wouldn't pan it. Like I'm sure people would pan it. I'm sure like people that have him in the forties would freak out. Uh, and, it would, and it would, it would definitely, it would definitely feel funny after the Cam Johnson pick, but you know, picking these two ancient, yeah. There's college a certain guys.
1: amount of Lowell Suns going on there, but yeah. yeah but yeah. but
0: honestly, I mean, just remove the sun. Say say anybody at eleven or twelve and takes Desmond Bain, like it would be shocking to a lot of people. I think it would be like kind of reasonable. Like it's probably a reach for where I have him. He's old and all that stuff, but I can see a team, especially in this super volatile class. Taking him, taking him somewhere in the teens, and I would, I would defend it. I wouldn't like love it, maybe, but it's it makes sense. He's not, he's not markedly worse than the other guys. He just the upside is a little sure. bit lower for sure. Like it's, it's always difficult to compare someone like Desmond Bain to Cole Anthony, for instance, like two guy or, or Kyra Lewis or somebody like that. They're just very different players, yeah, yeah, sure. Um, and they're doing different things, but not you know safety is sometimes overused by me even. But Bane just feels pretty safe to me. Like I think he's going to be an NBA player on the wing. There are obviously degrees of that. Like you, you're wanting to get a starter in the lottery, but if you can't, you know it's. I don't know. I, I think the moral of the story is I would understand it. I think. Yeah, if if he was if he was 19 instead of, instead of 22 about 23, he would he might be a lottery pick probably would be a lottery pick. <laughs> it's just that he's sure. already old. So,
1: I get yeah, it. I I would say, you know, he's a little reliant on the jump shot. Another yeah. guy who didn't get to the free throw line that much. But if he's an incredible shooter, then I don't really care if he's relying on it because he's going to be able to, to make those. And then I wanted to touch back. I know we have to wrap up this one soon, but uh, on Josh Green, because he was a guy you brought up a minute oh, yeah. ago. I've watched him a half dozen times in person this year because he plays a half an hour and a half south of me. yeah, so uh, I, I don't I, like you know, look at him how how you looked at Lou dort would be my my advice. like, do you think the defense can be so good that none of the rest of it matters? because I think a lot of it with Josh Green to me is uh, you know I don't think he can shoot. I, I really worry about the shot. like I think the 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 thirty six percent that he put up. Is actually better than he is as a shooter yeah um and i think like his his feet on his jumper his hips it's really really out of whack i got to watch him warm up and all that and uh, the other thing is he is about as bad of a decision maker as i've seen for like a five-star recruit so at least like a a guy who who created a little bit for himself obviously there's plenty of centers and things that that aren't good at that but um you know a guy who you you thought you think of as maybe a a wing slasher kind of secondary shot creator. I don't think that's what he is. So, um, He's a guy that I really soured on over the course of the season, so I, I had a strong take on him. I wanted to throw that in before uh, no, before glad, moved on.
0: I'm glad you did because uh, it didn't even occur to me as we were talking that Arizona is where you are and that's where he was. So that that yeah. makes sense. Uh, but yeah, no, I, he's an interesting sort of polarizing guy in that he does have the pedigree that guys like guys like Bain don't have, and he's super young. But I'm with you on the shot. I don't I don't really buy it. And man, he does some bafflingly bad things offensively. At times, like I mean, just, you just
1: think like that team sucked this year relative to what they should have been, and I blame a lot of that on the coach, but I also blame a lot of that on. I mean, the players underperformed. It is what it is. I think he's a big reason for it.
0: Yeah, I I do buy the defense. I like it. I think because I also lean defense in general and valuing it more than most people do, I I still think he's like a late first round kind of guy. But the offense is genuinely concerning. Like he's a guy that might just never be and a good enough player to, like, have on the floor in a playoff game. Like, those guys exist, even yeah. if they're really good defenders. Like, you have to be able to do something on offense, or you get, you get played off the floor in a lot of ways. And obviously, we're a long way away from that for a 19-year-old. But he's uh, he was frustratingly bad at times on offense <laughs> this year, is the best yeah. way to put that. All right, this is Brad coming to you in post-production. We have a part two coming with Brendan on our next podcast, it's going to cover all kinds of things from the top of the draft, though, as we pivot from the middle to the end of the first round, back up to the top. So stay tuned for that. Please subscribe to the podcast. Please check out Brennan's work. I will link to it in the podcast description, and we will see you next time.